Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to service this morning. We are on, if you are visiting with us, or if you need a reminder, we are on a summer road trip this morning. And we have been some pretty remarkable places uh, throughout the summer. The roads that are in the Bible and the things that we learn on the road. So as a refresher course, um, we began our road trip on Wilderness Road, where God revealed himself and, um, you know, kind of categorized himself as a God of delivery, delivering the people, his people, from Egypt to the promised land. And that same God who delivered them is going to deliver us, except our destination is not going to be a place. We talked about it's going to be a person. The next week, we kind of turned the lens of the camera and we focused in on that person, talking about Calvary Road and the road that Jesus went, went down and went on so that I wouldn't have to. Next, we took a turn down Jericho Road where we encountered a radical version of love that was both moving and challenging. Then we went down Emmaus Road where we were joined by two unique individuals uh, followers of Jesus who were wrestling with questions about Jesus, many of the same questions that we wrestle with today. Then there was the Ethiopian road where we met a unique individual who was outcasted by society but yet was still a part of God's family. And then finally, last week, if you're with us, we went down Damascus Road where Jesus changed the course of history through a man that was too far gone by all standards a man named Saul, who would then be named Paul. Today's road can be found in Acts chapter 13. And I'm going to encourage you, if you have your Bible, or if you have it on your phone, to turn over to Acts 13, click your way over there. Um, we're going to spend pretty much our entire time looking at that first story in Acts 13. And there's not a specific road labeled there. It's more of a metaphorical road, but there is much we can learn as we prepare for our own journeys with Jesus to learn from the first followers as they hit the road. And like mentioned, today's going to be a little bit different than past sermons. This morning we're going to do a good old-fashioned Bible study, working through this passage verse by verse, but I have confidence that the Spirit is going to speak to us this morning. So let's just go to the very beginning. Now there was in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Now, Antioch is an extremely important city during this time. It's actually the third largest Roman city during the second century, during the time of the first believers. You probably have heard of the first, Rome, and then Alexandria. But if you're not a history buff, or if you haven't read Acts very much, you may not be as familiar with Antioch. You may be wondering, if it's the third largest Roman city during this time, during the, Rome's, the big part of Rome, whenever they're at their prime, why haven't I heard about it very often? Why, haven't heard, why don't I know much about it? And that's because in 540 AD, the Persian Empire came through and ransacked, decimated, leveled Antioch and its culture. Gone, off the face of the earth. But Antioch is extremely important for the Christian movement because it's from Antioch that Christians would begin the mission to spread the truth about the resurrected Jesus to the whole world. It is from Antioch that that journey, that that road trip would begin. Antioch serves as the epicenter for Christianity. And it's actually in Antioch that Christians would get their name as Christians. 
We didn't give ourselves name, the name Christians. People looked in from the outside and said, oh, you're those Christ followers, right? Christians. And the name just kind of stuck from there. So it's in Antioch that Christians began the road trip on what I want to call this morning the Emperor's Road. The road that spread all throughout the, the Roman providence that the first Christians walked on going from city to city. It's the road where Christianity hit, hit the road for the first time. And so what we're going to do this morning is go back to the very beginning because it's from Antioch that we get the clearest picture of what we are going to face today as we prepare and go on our journey with Jesus. Let's learn about our, our dream team, our people that our main characters, the people that are going to hit the road, the first Christians. We have Barnabas, you may recognize that name, Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, we're going our, our story is going to kind of follow them. But then you have a man named Simeon who is called the black man. Now, political correctness is not a thing during this time, nor was it necessity during this time. In the second century, if you were a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter your culture, your skin color, your gender, any physical appearance and attribute has no merit on your integrity and dignity that you deserve as a human being. You're a follower of Jesus. We all need the same grace that Jesus provides. And so physical attributes are just a way of distinguishing people. You have a tall person, you have a person with blue eyes, you have a person with black skin, and that's how they did it here. Simeon, who was called the black man. And then you have Lucius of Cyrene. We don't know what color he was, but we know where he's from at least, Cyrene. We have Mannion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tatriarch. Now, this is a fun little note. I wanted to look that up. Like, what does it mean to be a lifelong friend in the Bible? <laughs> and it literally is translated, Mannion was breastfed with Herod the Tatriarch. I'm not making this up. My wife is breastfeeding, and I, I don't know if most men have this saying, but you get kind of squeamish. It's like, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing, but it's still like, it's just different. It's, it's alien to men. So it's like, why would you put something like that in my Bible that he's breastfed with? Some, like, what's the point of that? And the whole reason, and the reason they translate it, the point is, if you come from the same source of life, the same breast, you are at equal status of. So Mannion's pretty high up there with Herod the Tatriarch. And then you have Saul, which is, if you were here last week, we learned is our Paul who wrote a good majority of the New Testament. This is our dream team. Right here. This is the, if you're watching the NBA Finals right now, this is the starting five. These are the guys going out on the court to, to go against the Milwaukee Bucks that are now three and two, ready to take it at home, right? And this is who the Suns put out there to win. These are the backs that the Christian movement is going to be riding on. I mean, look at it. Look at these guys. And if you're out there and you're kind of scratching your head like, I think I know two of them. <laughs> I, I definitely know one, but maybe two. That's kind of my point. These are nobodies. God decided to put the fate of his movement not in the hands of royalty, not in the hands of prosperity, not in the hands of notoriety. These guys aren't YouTube influencers. They're not CEOs of some multi-million dollar corporation. These guys don't even have a platform. In fact, these guys won't even be remembered by the very people that they're starting a movement on. 
The majority of Christians, if you say, hey, can you name these five? They probably want to get them. And yet God chose these five ordinary men who witnessed something extraordinary and decided to do something about it. Let's make this a lot more practical. Let's bring this home. Can we find five ordinary people in this room People who think they're nobodies, people who the world is fighting against, people who think they're, they're insignificant, people who think if they were gone, nobody would notice. Five ordinary people, can we find that in this room, who are going to witness something extraordinary this morning? Maybe God's going to tell you something, maybe you're going to see something in the text, you're going to see something inside of you, you're going to witness something extraordinary, and you're going to decide to do something about it today. You could change the world. It's happened before. Why can't it happen again? Five ordinary men. Let's keep reading. Now, while our dream team were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now, if you're not familiar with that word fasting, it normally means to deprive yourself of some kind of physical desire. It's it's usually food. but The whole purpose of it is to highlight your dependence on God. Now, that might sound a little foreign to some of you, but the reality is this is where Christianity and modern worldly religions fork in the road, right here. Like to be, learning to be a Christian, and if you're taking notes, or if you want to remember something, write this down right here. Learning to be a Christian, learning to be a follower of Jesus, is learning to say no to yourself. Learning to be a follower of Jesus is learning to say no to yourself. Other modern religions, they'll tell you, God would never ask you to say no to yourself. Because God would never put a desire in you that he didn't want you to fulfill. Well, I got news for you. The Bible says that you have a lot of desires that God doesn't want you to fulfill. But he wants you to be wholly dependent on him. I want to do a little mental exercise with you. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to say anything out loud. I just want you to think about it. When was the last time that you denied yourself a physical desire? Just think about it. When was the last time I denied myself physically? Because if you think about it, you're hungry, what do you do? It's Sunday, what are you going to do? You're going to go, ladies, you're going to go to the shower, you're going to get a donut, you're going to shower our our soon-to-be married couple, and then you're going to go out and grab lunch because you're hungry and that's what you do. You're thirsty, what do you do? You wake up, your mouth is dry, You get done from the beach, you get a drink because you're thirsty, right? You're tired, what do you do? It's Sunday, right? You're going to go home, you're going to lay back in the recliner, you're going to kick your shoes off, and you're going to take a a nap, right? Because that's what you do on Sunday. You're tired, you sleep. You're bored. Some teenagers in here, you're bored. I get it, nothing personal, it's okay. But you're bored, what are you going to do? You're probably looking at your phone a little bit more. And adults, we're, we're just as guilty. After that Sunday nap, you get a little bored, you're going to flip on the TV and you're going to feel that pleasure. You're angry, you vent it to somebody or do something to get it out. You want to have sex. All of the teenagers are back with me now. You want to have sex, you find somehow or somebody to have sex with, to get that tension out. We have physical desires, we all have them, and we very rarely, very rarely, deny ourselves of those physical desires. But our dream team, as they prepared for the road ahead, as they prepared for what they were going to do, they could be found denying their desires and focusing themselves wholly on God. And as you prepare for your journey with Jesus, the question you have to ask yourself, are you setting yourself apart 
from the world's standards. From the world's standards of fulfillment, the world's standards of comfort, the world's standards of pleasure. Are you setting yourself apart or are we just living like the world lives, but we just label ourselves as Christians? We do everything the world does. There's no difference between our neighbors and us, our coworkers and us, our family members and us. We just say, oh, we're Christ followers, though, and maybe it's a way to make us feel better. I don't know, and I'm not trying to put it on you. It's on me as well. Are we any different than the world? Statistics say we're not. Statistics say that there is statistically no difference in the divorce rate between Christians and non-Christians. Statistically, there is no difference between depression and suicide rates in Christians and no Christians. The amount of people who go and gamble and the amount of people who visit pornography sites statistically is no different if a person is a Christian or not a Christian. Are we denying ourselves any of our physical desires or are we just living like the world and falling back on that Christian label? Expecting something spectacular but not living any differently. Let's go back to our text. Let's keep moving. The Holy Spirit said to them, that's interesting. We'll get back to that. He said to them, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the works to which I have called them. And then after fasting, there it is again, and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. You know, I wonder, maybe I'm the only one wondering this here. What does the Holy Spirit's voice sound like? Does anybody else wonder that? Or is that just like, like, like a preacher thing? <laughs> like we read the text and we're just curious. Like whenever I imagine God speaking like to, uh, in, in Jesus' baptism, I always imagine Morgan Freeman reading the King James Version on Audible. That's where my mind goes. Like I don't know what your voice for God or the Spirit looks like, but that's where I'm at. Like why doesn't God speak more openly to us? Like, look what it says. The Holy Spirit said, set them apart. Bar like, what does this sound like? Why doesn't he do this anymore? Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with the way we're doing church? What does it look like? Well, Eli, I'm glad he brought it up. Um, in Tethered, we just began a brand new series, I Dare You to Pray. And it's funny how the calendar's lined up, and this was just circumstantial. Uh, this next one, this next weekend, it's I Dare You to Pray, God Speak to Me. And we're, we're talking about this exact thing. Whenever I'm supposed to be listening for God's voice, what am I waiting for? What am I supposed to be listening for? What am I looking for? We're going to be covering that very thing. So that question is a question for a different lesson. And if you want to join Tethered, and if you've heard me talk about it, talk at all the past couple months, I've mentioned Tethered. Um, Saturday night, 7 p.m., Sunday morning, 11 a.m., we're going to answer that question. For now, though, I want to speak for a moment on the laying of hands. Because, unfortunately, we don't practice this very often in our tradition. It's a shame. It really is. Because there is real power in laying your hands on somebody. There's a transfer of strength and energy. And I'm not talking about something magical or mystical here. No, what I'm talking about is one of, the, one of the five major love languages is physical touch. That's what I'm talking about. That when somebody you love is crying, what do you do? Do you put your hands behind it? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, honey. It'll be okay. You wrap them up. When you greet somebody for the first time or first time in a long time, you wrap them up in a hug. When you're saying goodbye to your, your child when they're going off to college or going off to kindergarten, you wrap them in a hug, right? We are extremely physical beings. It's in who we are. So it's no wonder God uses physical touch 
to extend his power through us to other people. I talk about this often, this story that I'm about to tell. I talk about it often, and I'm sorry if you've heard it before, and I'm certainly sorry if it triggers something in your own personal story. It's not my intent. It's just a part of my story, and Darian's story. It's, it's my worldview. It's how I view the world and interpret the Bible. But when Darian and I lost our first baby from a miscarriage, some of the very first people that we told were the young people, the young adults in our small group, in our small group ministry. And if, if you don't, if you don't, when you're not walking with small, a small group of people in your life, in your faith, you're missing out on a huge part of what God has for you. That's a side note. But we're sitting down, and naturally we break down. <laughs> Some of the very first people we're telling, we're crying, we're bawling, and I'll never forget, with, when we weren't talking about laying of hands, we weren't talking about any of that, these young people, they stand up, they circle around us, and they put their hands on us. And they prayed and they cried with us. Laying of hands is a transfer of power that you don't have right now, so you can have some of mine. And as Barnabas and Saul prepared for the road ahead, they needed the strength. As they were sent off, they needed the strength of other believers to send them off. And equally, we need that as well as we prepare for our own journey. Like, if you want any reason, if you just want to pinpoint one of why this, what we're doing right now, gathering in person, is so important, you can stick it right there. We need each other to power each other to send ourselves out. So, being sent by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and then they arrived at Salamis, and they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John assist them. Love that last sentence. We're going to get back to that. But let's start here. Do you notice that they have no idea where they're headed? <laughs> it just says, being sent by the Holy Spirit, they went, and that's it. It's like there's no three-month planning meeting, like, you know, those like bank robbing, they're like, map rolled out on the table, like candles lit, ink things spilt to the side. They're all gathered. Holy Spirit's like, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to sail here. You're going to get shipwrecked. We're going to save you from that one. You're going you're gonna to meet a guy. He's going to have a cloak on. He's going to take you to a back room. You're going to meet this other guy. You're going to go to the temple, preach some stuff. They're going to arrest you, but we're going to get you out of that one. We're going to send an angel. You're going to go to the net. Like, there's none of that. They're not preparing for anything. They're just going. They just went, and they went in faith. It's like in the ancient world, people just understood that you're not going to get all the information. You're just not. But when we follow God, we want to know when, where, how long, what's it going to take. And when God doesn't answer one of those questions, we get mad. We get frustrated. We get intimidated. We lose courage. We, we back away. I don't, we do something. Except what we're supposed to be doing. You know what we're like? We're like children in a car. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We there? We're on the highway. Obviously, we're not there yet, right? But they just keep asking. I'm, I'm going I'm to ask you a question, but first I want to say, whenever I was a kid, and I know you all have your own stories, when I was a kid, I remember my dad had one of those, like, half cabs in the back where the seats were, like, literally turned inward towards each other. So whenever I, I had, always had to sit driver's side, so my dad get in and out, he's, like, bumping my shoulder every time. I only could get one toy, right, one toy to entertain me, 
Uh, because if not, the whole back seat would be like a toy box, right? And that was my entertainment. Like, that's all I had. So, and you all have your own story. So here's my question. Raise of hands. It's okay. How many of you are just a little frustrated at kids getting bored in the car today? It's okay. We can get frustrated at them. They got, like, surround sound TV. They got plasma. They got their video games hooked up. And they're saying, I'm bored. Like, are you not entertained? We got everything for you here. What do you want? <laughs> And yet, we have all the luxuries of our own life, wanting to be led by God as long as we get to call the shots. If you pray for God to lead you, are you prepared to be led? Are you ready to upend your life? Move to a different state? Quit your job? Dump your boyfriend? Many of us are not. We're so close. But we're not ready to walk by faith. Instead, we want to see the plans God has for us. Reality check, you're not always going to know your impact. You're not. Our John character, he didn't know the impact he would make. Like, no, this is all John gets up to this point. He wasn't part of the starting five. Uh, he didn't get the laying of hands and the prayers, people gathering around him, sending him off, the Holy Spirit. He wasn't maybe part of that huddle. I don't know. He's not mentioned except, hey, John, you're going to come and take notes. You're the secretary. You, Paul and Barnabas are going to do some amazing things, and somebody's got to write them down. John, that's you. Like, John had no idea how God would use him, that God would use him to write one of the Gospels that's in your Bible. This is John Mark, by the way. And equally, you have no idea how God could use you. When I was beginning my faith at 16, I remember sitting at a table in our church with two elderly women. And one of the ladies, she was talking about a trip that she was about to go on that summer to the Holy Land. Pretty remarkable. I mean, she was telling me stories I was reading these stories for the first time in my Bible, and she's like, yeah, I'm going to go see those things. Like, Jesus, where he was baptized, and the temple, and all these, in my mind, just pop, 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 popping off. Man, that sounds awesome. I'd love to go on a trip like that. And without missing a beat, the other lady at the table said, I'll pay for you to go. And I went. And that trip set me on a trajectory towards my biblical studies, my academia, towards working at a church, to standing on the stage, to who knows where God's going to take me, all because one woman saw something in me that I didn't see, and she made herself available for God to use. You never know how God will use you, but he can't use you if you don't make yourself available. Make yourself available. Say yes to serving our kids at Kids Church. You don't think God can use you to impact these little kids? Say yes. Say yes to giving more financially this year than you've ever given before. And we're not talking about just loading up with money. We're talking about taking your resources that are given to you by God and saying, God, I don't have a plan. I don't have a purpose. I don't know what you have planned, but God, I'm surrendering it to you. I'm giving it to you. God, do something amazing with this and doing it by faith. Say yes to pulling one of our young adults or our youth to the side this morning and asking them about their story. We do this a lot the other way, and rightfully so. 
Older people, you have a lot to tell our younger people. But when was the last time you asked them about their story, about their questions, about their doubts? Say yes to sacrificing that time. Say yes for God to make you bold. You know, we pray a lot of times, and they're, they're often safe prayers. God, protect me. God, be with me. God, bless me. God, watch over me. God, do these things like Santa Claus taking out our wish list. What if instead we said one request, God, make me bold. Make me bold. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what you have planned. But God, when it comes, make me bold. Say yes to inviting somebody to church this next weekend. What's the worst they could say? No? Okay. Well, at least they know the option's always available to them. And even if they say no, we've created an online ministry to reach the very people who may never take step in this building. Invite them to Tethered. Tell them, tell them you'll meet them there. Say yes to standing up for the injustices that exist in our community. Just put the world to the side for now and the injustices you see out there. Let's just focus right here. Go outside these doors. What are you going to witness and what are you going to do about it? Say yes. Make yourself available. And when they had gone through the whole island of Patmos, Patphys, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the governor, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So, we focused in Saul and Barnabas. They've hit the road, the emperor's road. They're telling people about Jesus. And along the way, they come across a man named the Son of the Savior, which is what bar means. It means son. That's why when you have a bar mitzvah, it's a son of the covenant or son of the uh, commandments, right? It's a coming of age. So you have a man named son of Jesus, son of the Savior, an individual who, despite his name, is in no way representing God and who's attached himself to a man named Sergius Paulus, and he's attached to him like a leech, so I think it's important for us to stop for a moment, perfect time for us to stop for a moment, and recognize this, because it is all too familiar in our circumstances. Let's focus in on Bar-Jesus, because some of you today, you have a Bar-Jesus in your life. This person, they are advising you. This person is encouraging you. This person is persuading you in directions that are counter to God's will in your life. Some of you are dating Bar-Jesus. Some of you hang out with Bar-Jesus on the weekends. Some of you watch Bar-Jesus on YouTube or on TikTok. Some of you swap, Bar -Jesus, or swap gossip with Bar-Jesus at the office. And these, these folks are speaking into you, whispering in your ear every day, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't need to go to church. No, no, they're outdated. They're closed-minded. You don't need to go find your own way. Believe your own thing. There's not just one way. There's not just, no, 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 no. There can't, that's so closed-minded. There can't just be one way. Trust your feelings. Trust what you believe. Find that and lean into it. And they're whispering these words in your ear, and you are listening to them. And it's become imbalanced, the intake of what you're listening from your bar Jesus and what you're listening from God. So here's my question to you. Who has your ear? Because whoever or whatever has your attention 
has you. So Bar Jesus, they attached himself to an intelligent man. And I was going to say a whole thing here, but we have the shower, we have other things going on. For the sake of time, let me just say this about intelligent man. There are people outside of the faith who are extremely intelligent and who do not believe in Jesus. And I personally believe those people will be far more susceptible to listening to what we have to say if, one, we stop considering them dumb, and two, are more susceptible to listening to them. Just my thought. Here's the reality. It doesn't matter how much you know or how much you think you know. Your knowledge, your intelligence, it doesn't save you. The grace of God saves you. That's it. Bottom line. We'll put that one to bed. We'll move on. But Alamis, he has two names. The magician, for this is the meaning of his name, uh, he opposed Paul and Barnabas, seeking to turn the governor away from the faith. There's our leech. But Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, underline it, bold it, circle it, highlight it, do whatever you need to do to that right there, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. <laughs> I always find it a little humorous here, that, that part, that Jesus is known for giving people sight, but Paul is all too familiar with having his sight taken away. <laughs> He's like, oh, I know we'll get him. <laughs> I'll start taking sight away, right? It's like, Jesus gives sight, Paul comes back and takes it away from you, right? So be careful with Paul. But here's the reality. Paul sniffs out the magician for who he really is. You're not the son of a savior. You're the son of the devil, right? You are making crooked what God is setting straight. And all throughout the emperor's road, both in our Bible and the ones you're going to face today, Paul and his team are going to have to call out people for their crookedness. They're going to have to point them to Jesus. Culture tells you that there are all the different truths. You all have your own truth. You all live by your own truth. You have your own experience. So just lean into that truth. There's all these different paths, but Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There are not many ways, there's me. I am the door, you have to come through me. And being a follower of Jesus is being bold enough to both hold tightly to that truth and hold it up as a standard for other people as well. But we don't struggle with that too much. Like, we get that. We get the idea that, you know, here's the standard, hold it up, put it in people's face, this is what you need to believe, there's no backing down from it. We get that. The part that we miss in this verse is the one I told you to bold and highlight, underline, circle, that Paul holds to the truth by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, in our tradition, again, we don't, we don't study and learn about the Holy Spirit as much as we should. So let's just go to the baseline, something we can all agree, the fruits, the attributes of the Spirit. Let's just stick there. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Take that list, take it home tonight, and just sit in those words. We don't mind calling people wrong, we just don't necessarily do it in the best way. 
And I'll be honest, I don't know how making people blind and calling them the son of the devil fits into that list. But Paul knows a lot. He's far more in touch with the Holy Spirit than I am. So I'm just going to put that one there and leave it. Here's what I do know. You are going to leave this morning and you're going to be bombarded with lies and false messages and people who want to pull you off the path, who want to pull you away from the truth. And one of the only ways that you can stabilize yourself in this world is by being very familiar with this book. And you might be here, especially my young people, and you might think, what does this old, ancient, thousand-year-old book, what does this have to do anything with my life today? Like, how am I supposed to practically use this thing today? Paul actually answers that question later on in his life as he's bringing up kind of his mentee, the one who he's going to pass the torch to, named Timothy. And I want to just read what Paul says about the Bible. He says, hey, Timothy, from a child, since you were a little bitty, if you don't think being in our kids' church is important, here you go right here. From a little boy, Timothy, your, your mother and your grandmother, they have taught you about the sacred writing, about the importance of it, which is able to make you wise. Paul calls this wisdom literature. What is wisdom? It's the proper application of knowledge. You can know something but not apply it correctly. Wisdom is the means of doing that. And this is how you do it, this wisdom literature. So what am I using that wisdom for? To find the thing that's going to save you. What's going to save me? It's trust. Trust in what? It's not trust in what, it's trust in a savior. And we know who that savior is, his name is Jesus. But then he gets the script back to the scripture. All scripture is God-breathed, profitable for what? What do I use this book for? It's going to teach you things that you've never known. You think you know it all? You don't. Go back, read. You're going to learn something new. It's also going to get in your face. It's going to make you extremely uncomfortable. You're not going to like some of the things you read in here. And if you don't come out of your reading feeling a little uncomfortable, you're probably not reading it right. Go back Try again. Make yourself uncomfortable. It's also going to correct you because you're not right about everything. You need this to put you on the right path. And it's going to train you up to be right with God. So that the messenger of God, you may be complete and mature, equipped for every good work. A good work right there is actually translated. That literally says equipped for serving the poor. That's what it literally says there. There is power in God's word. And going back to our story, and this is the last, last part of our story, last verse. When the governor saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. What we know about the encounter with Sergius Paulus and what we don't know about it both have something to teach us. What we do know is that God's word is enough to amaze even the most intelligent people and to gain their ear. And we just talked about that, about the power of this book. And there are people, your age, my age, and younger than us, there are people, and they are extremely curious about what's in this book. And you want to know why, especially the younger generation are extremely curious? is because their entire life they've been told what's in this book but they've never been taught how to find it themselves. They haven't been taught, and they haven't gone in and read it themselves. They've just absorbed it and took it for what it is. There is power, and people are curious. What we don't know in this encounter, 
with Sergius Paulus is what happened after this amazement and this meeting. We don't know. We don't know how long Paul and Barnabas stayed. We don't know about any further interactions they had with the governor. We don't get to follow along on his faithfulness after they leave. They just leave, and the camera just follows Paul and Barnabas on their journey. And equally, you will not always see the fruits of your labor, which is easy to hear, but not easy to live out. Why? Because we want to tell people about Jesus, and then we want to carry them over the finish line, right? We want to go get one cup of coffee and say, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. That person say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that makes sense. Let's do this. Okay, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. What we don't like to do is get into real relationships with people because it takes time, it's hard, it's difficult, it's inconvenient, it's uncomfortable, and I don't want to do that. But the reality is God is not in the business of immediate results. He never has been and never will be. Relationship and teaching people about Jesus, it happens in relationship. Said that wrong. Getting people to Jesus happens in relationship. And relationships are hard and they take time. But you will not, you just don't realize what God can do with one act of obedient boldness. Paul and Barnabas and the others on the dream team, they had they were bold, they were obedient, and they changed the course of history. And the same God they worshiped, the same God that they went in the power of. The same God that they told people about is the same exact God that we're worshiping this morning. The same God. We are on the same road. We're on the same road. The emperor's road is our road. It's the road that leads you out of these doors, down the street, and to your home. It's the road that leads you to your neighbor's home and around their table for a meal. It's the road that leads you to your family members that are out of state. It's the road that winds through your office buildings and the retirement communities. It's the road that can be found on social media and in South Beach. It's the road that leads you wherever God's people need to be and are. It's the road you must be willing to take with preparation in God's word and by strength of other people. It's the road you must take with boldness as you hold tightly to the truth, but by the guidance of the Spirit, You call people towards it. It's the road that you must take in faith that God will allow you to reach your destination and bring others with you. The emperor's road, it's our road. How are you preparing? And what are you encountering as you go down that road? Let's pray. God, what else do we say? Besides Acts 13, this story right here. It guides us, it leads us, it shows us what preparation and movement on this journey looks like with you. We talk a lot about roads in this series, different roads that different people have been on, but God, this one, this one's our road. Whenever we stand up and we walk outside of this building, what happens? What road, what do we do on that road? Who are we going to encounter? By faith we go, we go boldly, we go with confidence because we are familiar with your word and your truth. We've inscribed it on our hearts. And God, we give you all the glory, leaning into each other and you for our strength. God, be with us on this road. We say this prayer 
the name of our Savior Jesus who makes all of this possible. Amen.